Open your Bibles with me to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. I will make a very rapid survey of this chapter for you and then take a little closer look at verses 6 through 8. I hope you read it last evening because I'm not going to read it to you right now. We are going to take a rapid survey of it. 1 John chapter 5. The first half of verse 1, which would be 5-1-A, if you're used to those kind of designations, is a witness of the Lord Jesus Christ and a witness of your eternal life by faith. There is found in 1 John chapter 5 a number of witnesses of Jesus being the Son of God and a number of witnesses that prove that you are a child of God. 1 John is the first book you would go to in the Bible to find assurance for your salvation. There are very short passages like 2 Peter 1 and 1 Thessalonians 1 that tell you the proof of election and how you can make your calling and election sure. But if you want it presented in a comforting way over and over again, it's 1 John. And in 1 John 5, there's basically two side-by-side objectives being met. And that is the witness that Jesus is the Son of God and that you have eternal life. And I do not have time to elaborate on most of the things I'm going to say. I'm going to trust that you understand it and you can prove it later by various means. The outline will be published in 24 hours, the Lord willing. First of all, it says, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. That is a present tense believing and a perfect tense being born, passive voice verb, being born of God, or is born of God, showing in 1 John 5, 1a, that if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed Messiah of God, you are already born of God. If you go back and look in chapters 3 or 4, you'll find other verses saying the same thing about love and about confessing Jesus Christ. It is the evidence that a person is born of God. We do not believe in order to be born of God. We believe because we are born of God. But a person that's a child of God that believes Jesus is the Christ does something else. And it's the witness of love. Faith is a witness in the first half of verse 1. Love is a witness in the second half of verse 1, down through the end of verse 3. Everyone that loveth him that begat, loveth him also that is begotten of him. If you love God, you are born of God because God is love. It tells us that in 1 John. But if you love God, you will also love those that are begotten of God. You will love the people of God. You will not love the people of God because they're lovable. You will love the people of God because God loved them enough to send His Son to die for them. And so you will love them on the basis of His love. Verse 2 tells us, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. It's it's an interesting way how the Apostle John writes this epistle and teaches us that we can't truly love God, we're liars if we say we do, and we don't love those that are His children. And we can't really love those that are His children the right way unless we love God and keep His commandments. Like this second verse tells us, the right motives in loving another person flow from loving God. The right actions in loving another person flow from keeping God's commandments. We don't define our love of other people by the way the world defines it. We need to define it the way God does. 
and we end up loving God's people the way we should by loving God and keeping His commandments taught to us in the second verse. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. A witness that you are God's child, and God's purpose is being worked out in your life and destiny, is that you love God. You know, everyone loves to quote, for we know that all things work together for good. We know that all things work together for good. But look at the next, the second half of that verse. To them that love God. Then what does it say about those who love God? To them who are the called according to His purpose. You want to witness that you're a child of God and that God's purpose is being worked out through your life and your eternal destiny is to spend it with Him? Love God. How do we know that we love God? We love keeping His commandments because we never want to offend Him. You know, we don't want to come into church and give Him lip service and then go live our lives for ourselves. That's like a spouse that sends their wife a birthday card and then mistreats her all year long. What good does, what, what does it mean? It means nothing. Right. Love is a witness. There's, there's so much that could be said about faith in the first half of verse 1 and these two and a half verses down through 3 about love. But victory is a witness. It's a survey. Victory is a witness. Look at verse 4. Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. You want to know that you're born of God? You overcome the world, and the world doesn't overcome you. We all get a set of circumstances in our lives that are able to overwhelm us at times. But we don't let them overwhelm us at all times. And when they do overwhelm us, we might be cast down, but we are not destroyed. Lord, forgive us. Whenever we get destroyed because of some little circumstances in life, when you have given us the victory over everything this world can throw at us. In this world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And so there's a witness that you are a child of God by your victory. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. Well, what is that? And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. So that verse tells us in a roundabout way that your faith is born of God. We like that because that's what we believe in this church. And we happen to be in 1% of the 1% of the 1% of Christians that understand how a person's born again, and it's not by their faith. Faith is a result of us being born again. But it gives us faith. And it's the victory that overcomes the world. Jeff, the Lord's convicted you for the last year about the important role of faith. Look at what this passage says about it. Verse 4, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. You say that's such a simple statement. Well, it's not just enough to say it. We want to live it. That If Jesus truly is the Son of God to you, then he is the Lord of your life. And as the Lord of your life, he has already ordained and commanded how you should conduct yourself in every part of your life. At work, with money. At home, with time. With spouses, with parents, with children. And on and on it goes. If He's truly the Son of God, then He's God in the flesh and we should be obeying Him. But it's the victory that overcomes the world. Do you know that our martyr fathers could be chained at the stake or not chained. They weren't going to run away and have those faggots lit at their feet 
that would burn them slowly to death. And they had a victory. They, they were the victors over this world. Their enemies didn't gain the victory. Their souls sprung into heaven as soon as they passed out of this world. And they went with singing on their lips. When a person is singing, does that sound like they're unhappy? Oh, this is the victory that we can have through the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is the gift of faith given by God to us. It's born in us by the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. And it overcomes the world. For the second time, I'll say, Lord, forgive us. Forever. Letting the world overcome us. By its circumstances, defeating us. I hate the weakness of my flesh. I always want to live victoriously. Wonderful. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for faith. Victory that overcomes the world. Yes. Because greater greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and loved not their lives. In Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11. For we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Amen. And you, that, that, that comes from Romans chapter 8, the last seven verses of that chapter, where it describes tribulation and distress and persecutions and all the things that can happen to Christians, none of which really happen to us. But we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Amen. And who is that him that loved us? Jesus, the Son of God. Amen. Can the language be any plainer than what you can read right there? In the last part of verse 5, Jesus is the Son of God. Do you believe that? That God, Jehovah, creator of heaven and earth, came to this planet in the form of Jesus of Nazareth, was born of the Virgin Mary, lived 33 and a half years, laid down his life for the sake of his people, but he lived a perfect life till then, and he gained the victory. Do you know what they did by crucifying him on the cross? Do you think they ended his life? He knew that was the door into heaven's glory, to sit at the right hand of God Almighty. The universe is at his feet. He has made all his enemies his footstool, and the last enemy that shall be made his footstool is death itself. He is victor over all. And we believe and know that Jesus is the Son of God. We are blessed abundantly. If you don't have the assurance of eternal life right now, then believe that Jesus is the Son of God and go out of this place and live like he has commanded you to live. You are able to do that if you're born again. If you're not born again, You'll be worrying about everything else in life as soon as this service is over and you're imagining about those things right now. But that's okay. You'll have a long time to think about it in a very hot place to where you're headed as soon as you leave this planet. Let's jump to verse 9. In verse 9, jumping the best part of this chapter, (laughs) the new man is a witness. You have a witness on the inside that you're a child of God. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God which he hath testified of his Son. He that believeth in the Son of God hath the witness in himself. We have the witness of the Holy Spirit within us that cries, Abba, Father. Romans chapter 8 and Galatians chapter 4, Paul taught that in both places, that we have an internal witness that God is our Father. We cry, dear Abba, Father, to God Almighty. Because he's our father. Do you receive the witness of men? Do you believe there was ever a Genghis Khan? On what basis? Some other idiot like you told you that there was a Genghis Khan? You've never seen him? And you believe it. Do you believe that Christopher Columbus discovered this country? 
1492, he sailed the ocean blue? Do you believe that? On what basis? Because somebody put that in a history book that he had some Santa Maria Nina and pinto beans or whatever he came over on? The pina? Oh, you believe those things, don't you? Uh, so do I. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. Amen. I'm coming back to it because it's in verses 6 through 8. The witness of God is greater Amen. that he's given of his son. His son, Jesus of Nazareth, is God on earth, is God in the flesh, is the God-man, is God manifest in the flesh, is the Word of God made flesh, is the fullness of the Godhead in a human body. It is a glorious testimony. It is the most fantastic, incontrovertibly great fact that there is. Jesus is the Son of God. You get that picture of that long-haired, effeminate John Lennon out of your mind that they have hanging in all their churches from Roman Catholics to Baptists. That is not a picture of Jesus of Nazareth. That is a Catholic caricature to make him look like an ashamed, effeminate woman. The devil wants to shame the Lord Jesus Christ by making him that long-haired, effeminate, brown-eyed, lazy, effeminate, weak being. Give me a dartboard and a set of darts. Jesus is the Son of God and He sits at God's right hand. And when John saw Him, he fell at His feet as dead. God was on earth. God should have incinerated this earth. He's going to incinerate every angel that sinned against Him. Why shouldn't He incinerate men that sinned against Him? God's testified of His Son and we better believe it and you better believe it. And you know what you ought to do if you believe it is to get baptized so you show a picture of what Jesus of Nazareth did for you by being buried and rising again. Because God's testified of His Son. We believe what men tell us about what happened in history. Do you believe what God has declared about what happened in history? And it's His story after all. It's not their story. Men just are along for the ride. As God sends this planet spinning through the universe. It's the witness of the new man inside us. Verse 10, He that believeth in the Son of God hath a witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar. You say, I believe God. Then you better be baptized in his name. And you better live up to what he has commanded, or you're a liar. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments. Same book, chapter 2, verse 4. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Verse 11, and this is the record that God hath given to us, eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. There's an eternal union, there's a legal union, there's a vital union, there's a practical union. Are you practically united to Jesus Christ this day by believing on him? Have you eaten his flesh and drunk his blood? As John chapter 6 described, which I preached to you in my absence a few weeks ago. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. The only way that we can know that we have the Son of God by an eternal union, by a legal union, or by a vital union is by our practical running and clinging to Him by faith and laying hold of eternal life. Do you believe in the Son of God this morning? These things have I written to you that believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe in the name of the Son of God. Does 1 Peter 2 mean anything to you that I used last Lord's Day? And to you which believe... He is precious. Amen. Is Jesus, the Son of God, precious to you? Yes. Who gives a rip about Genghis Khan? Do you know what Genghis Khan's heritage in this world is? 
the poorest nation on earth. There is no nation poorer than Mongolia. There is no nation that is a more wasteland than Mongolia. It is absolutely God-forsaken land. And you want to know about Genghis Khan? Let me tell you about Jesus of Nazareth. Do you know what kind of a heritage he has? Heaven and everything that is his. And that's the whole universe. I'm just using poor Genghis Khan. Just using him as an example. I'm using Christopher Columbus as an example. It's amazing what we'll believe based on the witness of men, but God's given us a great witness of his son. That's down through verse 13. Do you want to know that you have eternal life? Then believe on the name of the Son of God. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. The man that said that in Acts chapter 8, what did he do next? He slammed the brake on a chariot. Because he said, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, if thou believest, with all thine heart thou mayest. And he said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And what the two of them do, they went straight down to the water. And Philip went on his way, but the Ethiopian eunuch went on his way. And it tells us he was rejoicing. His ride back to Ethiopia was different than his ride from Ethiopia. He was rejoicing because he was so excited to know Jesus of Nazareth. Is Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, exciting to you? Or are you here out of drudgery and boredom today? You're not believing the record then that God was on earth in Jesus of Nazareth. And you're making God a liar. And you try to make God a liar, and you are going to answer for that. Answered prayers are a witness. Verse 14, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Now that is assurance of eternal life. When you have the confidence that God answers your prayers, God does not answer the prayers of the wicked. God answers the prayer of the righteous. God's face is against the wicked, but his smiling countenance is upon the righteous. And God hears your prayer. You can confidently know you're a child of God. He's your heavenly Father, and he will give you what you need according to his will. In verses 16 and 17, I'm not going to belabor the point because it's not. I don't want to distract your minds. It says, if you see a brother sin a sin that is not unto death, you can ask God, and God will have mercy on that brother and forgive him and give him life. But if a man sins a sin that is unto death, you are not supposed to pray for that sin because it is too late for that man. Now, what is that particular sin? It's not the unpardonable sin of blaspheming the Holy Ghost because that is impossible unless you were living and viewing Jesus Christ casting out devils and accusing him of doing it by the power of the devil. That is what we believe the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost is. Jesus had already ascended back up into heaven. This is a future tense description of a believing brother that got this epistle, seeing another brother sin a sin that is either unto death or not unto death. What sin is unto death? that the Bible teaches us has no forgiveness. Jewish apostasy back to the law of Moses. It's taught throughout the book of Hebrews. Are you familiar with these words? For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain and fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. How 
worthy, suppose ye shall he be thought worthy, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing. There was a sin that a Jew could commit that was in direct opposition to what this chapter is teaching us. This chapter is teaching us Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is the Son of God, Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the Savior. If a Jew went back to the Hebrew religion of Moses and animal sacrifices, what were they saying about Jesus? He was a blaspheming liar. They were denying the record that God gave of his son. They were trotting underfoot the son of God. They were counting the blood of the covenant an unholy thing because they were going back to shedding animal blood. What does shedding animal blood mean? What you think, what does it say about your thoughts on the blood of Jesus Christ? That's what this is. John wrote to Jews. Galatians chapter 2 tells us that his ministry was to the circumcision, meaning Jews. When Paul wrote Hebrews, he was writing to Hebrews, Jews. That was a sin that God God had cursed that nation. And if they went back unto the altar and temple and worship of Moses, what were they saying about the Lord Jesus Christ? They were saying the opposite of what's right here, that Jesus is the Son of God. That's all I have time for right now. I've, I've taught it before. I'll teach it again. I'll answer any questions you have about it. Verse 18. Holy living is a witness. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. But he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. If you're born of God, then you are not going to be continually, habitually, presumptuously living in sin. That is what that verse means. Because it is this book that teaches us, he that saith he has no sin is a liar, chapter 1. He that says he hath not sinned is a liar. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 16 right here says, if any man see his brother sin a sin. So obviously they're still sinning, but there is not sinning in the sense of the devil sinning that never repents and never confesses it, never reforms. That's what is being described here. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, doesn't sin habitually, doesn't sin continually. But he that is begotten of God keepeth himself from falling away into just outright sin without regard for God or without any repentance. And that wicked one toucheth him not. I love this word touch. I love this word touch. Now does the devil touch every one of us? Yes, he does touch every one of us. But does he really get a hold of us? No, he he can't. If you resist the devil, he will flee from you. I want to compare Scripture with Scripture. Do you know how much I love this Bible? In 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1 it says, Brethren, I write unto you concerning the things that you wrote unto me. It is good for a man that he not touch a woman. What does that mean? It means get married and be intimate with her. But it uses the word touch. Do you know why I love this Bible? Because if I will compare words in this Bible, like this Bible tells me to, in 1 Corinthians 2.13, I have some pretty neat connections. It is good for a man not to touch a woman. Does that mean that I can't go and shake some woman's hand? From 1 Corinthians 7.1, it doesn't have a thing to do with that ever. It is marriage and the intimacy of being under sheets together naked. That's a whole lot of touching going on. And so here when it says, the wicked one toucheth him not, doesn't have that 
all-encompassing, intimate, personal control of our lives. Can't, I'm, that's all you get. And we know that we are of God and the whole world lieth in wickedness. These poor people that get attacked by Arminians about the definition of the word world, look at this one isn't just the word world. This is a two-word phrase, the whole world. But you'll read that sentence with me. And we know that we are of God and the whole world lieth in wickedness. Can you think of anyone in that verse that's not in the whole world? Well, John and everyone that he's writing to. And we know that we are of God. And the whole world lieth in wickedness. He's automatically excluding himself. These people that get all worked up about the word world, here's an example for them. John used the word world more than all the other scripture writers put together. So we ought to let John define how he uses the word. And here he's showing us the whole world doesn't mean every single person. He's excluding himself and all the other believers out of it. Well, now if Jesus died for the whole world, then I can tell you some people Jesus didn't die for. He didn't die for John or believers. That's where they end up with their ridiculous ideas. I love our Bibles. And we know that the Son of God, let me give you one more. Eternal life is a witness, brethren, because of the knowledge it gives us. Verse 20, And we know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true, and we are in Him that is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. If you know God and understand God and live for God and live for His Son, Jesus Christ, it is proof you have eternal life. Because Jesus had said, According to this man... In John 17, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Before that, he said in John 17, 2, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him, and this is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. If you know God, remember after that in the wisdom of God, this is what I started out with. First thing this morning. After that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And if you understand God and know God and know Jehovah of the Bible and know his son Jesus Christ, it is eternal life. That's why it was given to you to know those very things. Little children, keep yourselves from idol. Idols, any vanity, idols of this world, covetousness is described as idolatry in the Bible because you're putting something against and something more important than God himself. Back to verses 6 through 8. Verse 5 ended with the words, Jesus is the Son of God. This is a great mystery. The world doesn't understand it. They talk about everything but the true Lord Jesus Christ of the Bible. Jesus is the Son of God is the issue that we are dealing with when we enter verse 6. This is he. When we have that singular male pronoun, he, we know that it's referring to Jesus is the Son of God in the fifth verse. This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and blood. What in the world does that sentence mean? Jesus came. It doesn't say Jesus died. It doesn't say Jesus redeemed. It doesn't say Jesus saved. It says Jesus came. In what sense did Jesus come by water and blood? And we are not talking about Mary having any bleeding at the birth or the water of her womb. 
because there's a real coming that took place that Jesus was identified as the Son of God and it didn't happen at his birth. For 30 years, Jesus lived in obscurity. He was known as the son of a carpenter and the son of Mary with a whole bunch of siblings and they were named, they're named in the Bible. But when did Jesus come as the Christ? When did he come as the Son of God? When was he revealed as both? First at his baptism. After 30 years of obscurity, he goes out to the Jordan River and meets his cousin John. And John sees what's about to happen and says, you need to be baptizing me. And Jesus said, it is, it is appropriate for us to fulfill all righteousness. You baptize me. So John the Baptist took his cousin down into the water and buried him under that water and raised him up again. And what happened? God the Father thundered out of heaven. This is my beloved Son. And the Holy Spirit of God descended in the form of a dove upon his head. And John the Baptist had been told, you keep baptizing. And when you baptize, the one the Spirit of God descends upon and remains upon, he is the Son of God. That's how Jesus, the Son of God, came as the Son of God. This is the coming and the anointing prophesied by Daniel in the prophecy of 70 weeks in Daniel 9.24, that there were 70 weeks unto Messiah. 69 would bring them to Messiah. It says 69. There are 70 in total. In the midst of the week, he would be cut off. So we're backing up three and a half years from his death, which brings us to his baptism. That's when he was declared to be the Son of God. He came by water because it was in the waters of baptism, Jesus himself being baptized, not Jesus baptizing, but Jesus being baptized, that God said, that is my Son. And that is the record that God gave of his Son. And if you don't believe, and if you don't obey Jesus of Nazareth with all your heart and mind, this day you're making God a liar, that when he spoke from heaven, you don't believe him. He's a liar. He came by blood. The Lord Jesus Christ shed his blood on the cross of Calvary. But when he shed his blood, the sun was darkened for three hours. There was an earthquake that rent the rocks and opened tombs. The veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom. But God had himself a witness there by the power of his inspiration that the centurion in charge of the hundred soldiers overseeing the death of the Son of God smote his breast and said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. Right. This is the record that God has given of His Son. Amen. He said it at His baptism. He had His enemy that crucified Him say it at His death. This is He that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. What is that sentence stuffed in there for? If it wasn't for the Holy Spirit writing this book, I wouldn't know what happened at his baptism. If it wasn't for the Holy Spirit writing this book, I wouldn't know what happened at his death. It's the Holy Spirit that bears witness by writing this down for me in writing. Our religion is in writing. It's not tradition of the elders. It's in writing because of the Holy Spirit of God. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21. And he's the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is truth, because the Holy Spirit is part of the triune Godhead. So we have the next verse introduced to us with that coordinating conjunction for. For 
there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. The Holy Spirit is one in nature with the triune Godhead. And that representative of the triune Godhead bore witness of the Lord Jesus Christ that He came by water and blood. Jesus is the Son of God. Do you believe on Him? Is He everything to you? If your spouse forsook you, would you still love Jesus of Nazareth? If your children forsake you and your parents forsake you, will you still hold to Jesus of Nazareth? Verse 8, And there are three that bear witness in earth. The Spirit, and the water, and the blood. We have the order reversed. And they're now bearing witness. Jesus came, past tense. Verse 6, This is he that came, that's past tense. The past tense water of Jordan where Jesus was baptized. The past tense blood that he shed on Calvary. But now there's a present tense. And there are three that bear witness presently in earth. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit gives us this book. The Holy Spirit calls men to the ministry. The Holy Spirit leads men in the ministry. The Holy Spirit leads your heart. The Holy Spirit leads the preaching of God's Word for you to have conveyed to you the record that God had given of His Son. Everything you know about God has been conveyed to you by the Holy Spirit. And there are three that bear witness in earth and the Holy Spirit is still alive and doing well and perpetuating His gospel among His elect. It's the Holy Spirit blessing the preaching of the gospel by Jesus Christ's ministers. Second, there's another witness in earth, and it's the water. And it's the waters of baptism. When we're baptized, when we are baptized, what are we declaring? Do I need to repeat Acts 8 to you again? Philip said, if thou believest, thou mayest. The eunuch said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Those are the words, the very words of verse 5 here that introduces us into this little section. There's three witnesses on earth presently. The Holy Spirit conveying the truth of His Word through the mouths of His ministers to the hearts of His people, and the Holy Spirit is on both ends of that transaction. And the water, when we are baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the picture of His death and His resurrection, that is a witness on earth that Jesus is the Son of God, because that's why we get baptized. What about the blood? It's right there. That is the witness on earth, the blood. Every time we take up that cup, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, but who is my? Who is he? Who is speaking? Whose blood was it? The blood of the Son of God. And we are identifying ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ at the Lord's Supper. Those are the three witnesses that are presently in earth. The Holy Spirit through the preaching of the gospel, water baptism that declares Jesus is the Son of God, and the Lord's Supper where we, sh- where we show that God came in human flesh and died to shed blood for our sins. This is the record that God has given of His Son. And these three agree in one. Do the Holy Spirit, true water baptism of Baptists, and the Lord's Supper, do they all agree in one? Jesus is the Son of God. Do you know what we're doing right, what we're about to do right now? We are are perpetuating an ordinance that is 2,000 years old. And whether it be in the catacombs of Rome, the forests of Bohemia, the mountains of Wales, or Georgetown when there was no Georgetown, 
God's people have gathered together. And whether you were being baptized in a bayou or in a bathtub, you were declaring Jesus is the Son of God. And they broke wine and they broke bread to witness by the blood, Jesus is the Son of God. And we are in that long line of brethren before us who have perpetuated that witness in the earth. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Amen.